Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Matthew Crabb, Asia-Pacific Trends Director here at Mintel, based in Malaysia and working on developing our consumer trends and drivers and how they reflect what consumers want and why. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca in the UK, Alex in the US, and Woon in Thailand. In that order, can you please briefly introduce yourselves and what you do at Mintel? Hi, I'm Rebecca. I um, work in the UK. I'm a senior media analyst and I write reports on a range of topics from books to social media to TV. Hi, I'm Alex Milanazzo, a trends analyst for North America, and I focus on the US and Canada for cross-category consumer trends coverage. Hi, my name is Woon Tirare Shakun, and I am a senior lifestyle analyst based in Bangkok, Thailand, and my main responsibilities is um, writing lifestyle consumers report. Excellent. Thank you very much uh, for joining me and talking about our subject today, which is data privacy. Now, data privacy has been in the news a lot recently. Several ransomware attacks have highlighted how vulnerable governments, institutions, and companies can be to breaches of data security. As Mintel is in the business of being experts in what consumers want and why, today we want to consider what consumer expectations are around the concept of data privacy, what they expect from brands, and in order to protect their data, what benefits they expect to get from sharing their data with brands. So to kick off, I'd just like to ask each of you, what do we think as a group the present and future of data privacy as it applies to each region will be? And what specific examples have we seen that show how consumer behavior is playing out? So I'm going to go, first of all, with Rebecca. Yeah, well, I think uh, thinking about Europe uh, and the UK, the sort of world of data privacy really got changed in 2018 with the implementation of GDPR regulation, um, which is for those in other markets who might not know, is that general data protection regulation, which sort of gave consumers a lot more um, ability to control what data was being tracked, what was being given to third parties, and really brought sort of data to the forefront of sort of the public consciousness. And since then, consumers have been like vastly more aware because every single time you go onto a new website, you're asked questions about, can we track this uh, data? Sometimes you're given options for how you do that. And you're supposed to be given an opt-out. Um, for the most part, in our consumer research since then, we've shown that most people go for the easiest option of just sort of clicking through um, not wanting to look through options about controlling which data goes goes to these companies. But there is a level of engagement with it. And I think overall, that has really changed the mindset of people, along with the lots of the controversies that have occurred, such as, you know, most notably the Facebook um, controversy of data privacy. Uh, and I think going forward, therefore, I really characterize uh, how... Uh, UK consumers see data privacy as increasingly about consent and control and expecting to be able to have that input as to how their data will be used and expect to be able to control how it's used. So really, we're definitely on that increased awareness uh, pathway. Excellent. Thanks, Rebecca. And Alex, do you think in the US people are similarly becoming much more engaged with uh, data privacy or do you think, like many of us, they just click acknowledge on the terms and conditions and carry on. Yes, and 
Um, I, I think it's, you know, all of the above. As Rebecca talked about with the EU's GDPR, that really changed um, really a global consciousness, I think, around data privacy. And while the U.S., there is a lack of federal regulation um, around data privacy and data protection. And so that's, in terms of this region, that's probably the most obvious and likely oncoming development um, in consumer data privacy, which is especially being most motivated by state regulations. Um, we currently here in the U.S. only have three states that have comprehensive data protection laws. And those are California, Virginia, and Nevada, I believe. Um, and so 47 of the 50 either have weak or no data protection laws. And so currently, I believe that a lot of U.S. consumers are still in that sort of Un unearthing phase, I like to call it, where they're learning about what these data collection practices are um, and how they feel about them, especially since a lot of these processes have been somewhat, you know, intentionally obscured from their understanding. And so I think that the trajectory of consumer sentiment is definitely in line with points that Rebecca made and the U.S. just isn't quite there um, in terms of regulation motivating those behavioral changes. Interesting. So very different sort of set of circumstances in the US uh, already from, from Europe. Now, Woon, uh, I know that uh, Thailand is bringing in new laws on data privacy, as have been uh, other countries in the Asia Pacific. How much of that is driven by consumer demand? Um, yeah, so actually we are having this PDPA, which is um, Personal Data Protection Act, but well, it's been postponed, um, which means that it's going to be um, enacted next year. And yeah, so right now, but um, overall, in overall picture, I'd say that people are like in the UK and in the US, which means that um, we are giving more importance to um, issues around data privacy. Let's say that um, comparing to before, when you get like phone calls from salespersons from the brands that you've never bought anything from before, like back then you were just, you know, like just got annoyed and didn't do anything much with it. But today people like younger generations, especially um, millennials and Gen Zs, they have more sense of like um, what is going wrong. They, they are more skeptical of things that are, you know, happening around them, um, around themselves. So they would ask like how and where their personal information has been collected from something like that and that is something that um, has been in increasingly happening in, in Thailand too and another thing that um, I've been observing is that um, because we are spending so much time on social media and we see that there are so many cases and news around and um, data breach and data leaks something like that so yeah and that's why we are um, seeing more importance of how like data has been protected yeah Excellent. Thank you for that. That's quite interesting to see the, you know, the variety of different situations and, and the speed of uptake and, and awareness uh, differences between different regions amongst consumers. Um, so following on from that, to look more specifically, uh, I wondered if you can now consider maybe how data privacy is playing out in different categories. Uh, and how do we all feel consumer uh, data privacy is salient to and all talked about in, uh, for example, health tech services, uh, social commerce, uh, smart home devices, all of these sort of things? Um, has anybody got any 
initial thoughts on that? Um, I can go first because I feel like Thailand is, you know, like we are one of the countries that, you know, use social media quite a lot. And we, and, you know, like we, we shop online quite a lot too. Um, let's say that if um, I think um, from the study that we had before, we, we are the third country in the world that has um, the highest proportion of um, online shoppers in the world. So yeah, um, yeah, you, you can you, you can imagine like how much time we spend on social media. So I would say that um, people in Thailand, we are kind of um, willing to exchange our data in order to get um, more convenience you know, from shopping online. And also, um, we, we know that um, when exchanging this data to the brands, um, they also give like um, personalized products or some things that are more suitable to, to their needs. So we are more okay with this. But um, if you are talking about like healthcare or health, um, health services, and let's say smart home, we can see that we are adopting more products in these categories. But maybe because um, the usage is still limited in, in our country, so um, we, we cannot, we haven't really heard of like negative news around data privacy issue around this. So yeah, I'm not too sure about like um, in, in the UK and in the US. Yeah, that's really interesting because certainly in the UK and I imagine very much the US, uh, there's a lot of controversy um, around <laughs> every time there's a big, big data breach. Um, especially the social networks, any, any, any high profile brand. Um, though I think similarly, we, 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 people say they care very much about data privacy and that it influences their behavior to an extent. But as, as you said, it just instantly, as soon as convenience comes up or there's some other advantage you want, people typically just accept that their data might be compromised slightly um with social media which has been like at the heart of a lot of these controversies it will be interesting increasingly to see as these platforms become quite homogenized there's quite a lot of big players now whether they uh people do take that into account when choosing say which social media they use for commerce as that becomes a bigger trend but i still think people pick these sites on other factors and it has to take a lot of continuous controversy to really push people away to really feel that their safety in some way was being compromised um we do know from our data that facebook's reputation has certainly been damaged by its data breaches but it is also still the most used platform in the uk um despite despite these so you know again like people do make these choices on other factors uh, but if we were thinking about shifting to another market out of social media i would point to i think some of the tech markets say the voice speakers i think that does get impacted by the issues of data privacy and people are uncomfortable having them in you know a speaker in their home that might be listening to them uh, that i think is a market where people might some people be hesitant to sort of enter into that space yeah yeah those are great points um that Woon and rebecca brought up especially the points about convenience we know that you know data collection plays an instrumental role in consumers convenience which they prioritize um and i also think when we're thinking about different categories um rebecca brought up a great point about how consumers feel 
how personal it feels to consumers. So, you know, bringing a smart speaker into your home feels very personal. And we know that around like 70% of U.S. consumers are concerned about their smart home products getting hacked. Um, And I think they have different metrics, so to speak, of when I'm making a decision, am I specifically vulnerable to hacking or privacy infringement? And so that might be like my personal health data, um, my individual home versus is the company at risk of a breach and that may or may not affect me. And so those are examples like Facebook um, and like Target. And so consumers didn't abandon um, those places, even the consumers that were affected, you know, didn't necessarily abandon those um services and so it it may translate into consumers taking matters into their own hands in certain instances such as very deliberately choosing i will not have smart home products something like that um but what's more likely to happen since consumers are fairly uh, adamant and not wanting to change their own behavior, um, they're going to want companies to do it for them um, or regulators to really set the standard there. Um, and because we even see this confliction within similar consumer sentiments. We know 46% of social media users in the U.S. agree that social media is designed to manipulate them. Um, And that kind of proportion holds standard across all ages. And then we see that around half of consumers are interested in purchasing items directly through social media. Mm. Um, And so it's those, you know, that paradox almost that we talk about when it comes to data privacy that when it comes down to it, it's, I, I think it is certainly salient to consumers depending on what type of decision they're making. Um, but in terms of the actions that they want to happen, um, they would prefer companies and regulators to shoulder the majority of that responsibility. I was going to say, I, Alex brings up a great point about do you how personal it feels to you. So I, when I think about that, I think of those controversies, the stories that came out uh, about, say, uh, the people's um, cameras in their children's rooms being hacked and how terrifying those very individual stories are versus, yeah, you're right, Facebook. Okay, there's a massive breach of Facebook. Is that, how does that really harm me on an individual level? While that visceral feeling of, oh, a random person could hack into my child's bedroom, that that's a whole different ball game for people. So you really have to make them believe that that won't happen to them. No, good points all around. Uh, and I think, you know, that's sort of an interesting point as to, you know, how people um, frame their expectations of what brands can do. I was actually in, in, in preparation for this, uh, recording this podcast, I was looking at some of our global consumer research. And um, one of the questions that we've got in that um, is, uh, it, well, one of the statements rather, it is important to know that companies protect my personal information, e.g. financial data, medical data, etc. Now, across Asia Pacific, every country, uh, consumers over-index in agreement with that statement. So obviously, there's uh, a point where consumers really do expect companies, brands to shoulder a burden. Um, so to that point, how do we think that data privacy might affect how brands communicate and engage with consumers in the future in each region, uh, either in the physical space or online? Uh, and what do we think that might even mean for us in the market research industry? 
Uh, Woon, have you got any thoughts on that kind of uh, brand communication and engagement with consumers? Yes. So one positive thing is that we see that consumers are giving more importance to data privacy, right? So that's um that that, that gives like a, a positive note to the future. And but the thing is, in Thailand, um, the knowledge is still pretty limited. So what brands are supposed to do right now is giving more education and, you know, being more transparent about how um, the data is being adopted, you know. So when I said that education is um, is very important right now, is that um, because right now even ties, they, they know that um, brands are... Um, the brands need them to use data in order to to tailor products or services that are more suitable to their needs. But the thing is, they don't really know how the brands collect the data and how it's going to be adopted. And, you know, how are they going to be sure that it's not going to be misused? So this kind of thing, it has to, um, it, it's the brands have to take action in order to make um, consumers feel that, okay, um, this is not going to be used in, in a wrong way. And they have to be transparent in, to, to show this as well. And I, I feel like, you know, like after brands know how to use data and then at the back of the house, they can collect data and optimize them, the data. And then after that, what's going to happen with market research agencies like us, you know? Sometimes when, when our clients can do like, you know, do really well with the data, it means that market researchers, we have to be even more, you know, expertise in, in what um, we can offer them. So it means that maybe we cannot just collect data and offer what some, um, what, what we have. It has to go beyond than that, which means that, um, we have to show more expertise um, and how the data is going to be um, optimized in even more advanced ways, this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think um, it's going to be a more challenging future for market research. I think that you did bring up um, some really interesting points, Woon, and especially about how companies can best optimize their data collection practices in the face of increased perceived regulation. Um, that is something that we're anticipating. And an example that really like jumps to mind for me is that Apple's iOS update 14.5 um, that recently came out uh, allowed um, consumers the ability to ask apps not to track them. Um, and so for those who aren't, maybe listeners that aren't familiar with using um, iPhones, essentially what happens is a pop-up window um, comes up in the middle of the screen um, and you know says that this app wants to track your data. Um, and you have two options, allow it to track or ask the app not to track it. Um, and kind of preliminary data or consumer feedback since this feature has come out um, and this data was gathered through third-party services um, shows that the an overwhelming majority of consumers select the option, um, you know, for apps not to track them. And we're talking like above 85% um, of users. And so like Rebecca talked about with um, the GDPR and that there's high engagement, especially in like the opt out um, um, or versus opt in. And it's beyond that, that consumers prefer, you know, I don't really want to read through all the details. Um, I just want to know that I'm not being tracked, um, at least to a certain extent. And so for the US, um, what I am anticipating is kind of 
phases almost, I guess, of backlash <laughs> against certain technologies. And I think initial backlash will be against specific technologies that are very um, apparent and that they are monitoring consumers. And so thinking about surveillance technologies, um, specifically facial recognition, um, which has been getting a lot of recognition <laughs> in data privacy circles about you know how ethically it can or cannot be used. And so I think those sort of inklings about I can pinpoint a certain technology that I'm unsure about will grow into consumers wanting more personal agency over their data um, so that they can more tangibly assess the rewards, um, whether they are material or not, of sharing their data. And so I think that will inherently alter the relationship between, you know, survey respondents and market researchers and consumers and brands because it's going to be a little bit more perceived of an involved conversation where consumers have more control um, and that it's not just kind of necessarily that a brand or a company can bank on um, a blanket of consumers adopting the same behavior. Yeah, I think that's really um, sums up really well. And the idea of these opt-out options are just people are going to expect them uh, increasingly and we're seeing them more or we're seeing say Google allow you know promises of automatically deleting your search history and, and um, your data after a certain amount of time uh, I think it's also interesting to think what this means for advertising overall as consumers become more aware of these practices and certainly our consumer data has shown that targeted advertising based on browsing history or purchasing history is the the uh, digital advertising people are most uncomfortable with. Um, and that obviously reframes things a lot for advertisers because the last thing you want if you're advertising someone is that they get uncomfortable or they get on edge because they're like, oh, I don't want you tracking me. I don't want you knowing that I just went to that website. Um, so that sort of, you can't just be so obvious with it, which I think in these sort of initial stages of targeting based on browsing history they've been pretty overt and uh, that that I think can increasingly lead to quite a negative response so you have to be a more upfront about how you've chosen to target to that but to them be more subtle with it probably to try and prevent that kind of uh, that instinctive reaction, uh, negative reaction. And then also probably more contextual advertising needs to take place around the content you're advertising alongside. So it's more based on this content we're showing to people. What does that um, emotion is that invoking? And we're going to try and tailor our advert to match that rather than just being like, you went to this website, I'm going to track you and, and uh, sort of in a fairly overt way. So I think brands really have to think about how they're advertised to people to make sure they're not pushing up against some of these buttons that are increasingly an issue for people. Thanks for that. Um, that raised a, you know, several interesting points for me, actually. I, I think the, the, the one particularly about, um, I think, Alex, you mentioned it about the opt-out and the opt-in. Um, it raises questions about do most people or do all people or are there certain groups who perhaps don't know when they're opting in or out um so i saw an example recently of a, a trends observation that we published from japan and it was about a company that had uh, created a vending machine that you could uh, pay for you can make your choice and everything using your face 
you don't need to touch the thing at all. Um, so that raises questions, as we've said, about sort of facial recognition technology and so on. And the idea behind it, I think, is that it's no touch, so it's hygienic. But it does uh, raise questions about um, those who have access to the technology and who understand the data situation. I'm thinking primarily here about sort of perhaps older generations who are less technically savvy. Again, obviously, the rules are being brought in to sort of bring those guidelines to companies and brands. But do you think there are certain consumer groups who might be a bit more vulnerable uh, in terms of their data privacy to brands perhaps should take more care of? Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Older consumers definitely jump out to me, um, and we know that that's no fault of their own, um, that, you know, communications, especially in regards to technology messaging, focuses on younger consumers. Um, And when we talk about digitally savvy consumers here at Mintel, um, we are always talking about a psychographic, and so it could be of any age, um, of any identity, and it's really just behavior-based. And so I do think that companies and brands will have to be very intentional about education and information messaging around their data collection practices because it's it's not as though that companies have never shared any information you know about it but really it was the consumer understanding wasn't there um they would say well first of all i'm not going to read you know a 50 page document about it and second of all how much of that am i going to understand realistically anyway um And so I think there are definitely certain consumer groups that um, their base level of knowledge is probably a little bit lower than other groups. But I think across the board, many consumers are forthcoming and saying um, what they know they don't know. And uh, an example that jumps to mind is last year, um, students around the world um, were really questioning the invasiveness of remote exam proctoring technologies. And students at dozens of universities um, including in the U.S. and Canada, but actively petitioned against the use of these proctoring technologies. And so this was obviously exceptionally salient when all of education was moved digitally. Um, but even prior to that, it's kind of difficult to um, conceptualize that a global group who grew up digitally native largely has a greater understanding, often in part due to their curriculum of how technology works, that's going to motivate their expectations of that. Um, And so we can hopefully um, assume that if other consumers had that similar level of knowledge, that they would have similar sentiments. Uh, I think it brings up some interesting points about the implementation of GDPR, which uh, is in theory meant to be pretty uniform and in practice is um, very uh, complicated. And so each website is going to present you very different options, some of which are very simple, opt-in out. Uh, some are much more complicated and want to direct you elsewhere. Um, and I, there has been, I think, a progression towards the simplicity because that pushback of, of, you know, I don't understand this and I know you're trying to make it so I don't understand this so that I don't simply opt out. Um, and so we are seeing that, but it does. And I think that will, you know, obviously is a driver of what we're going to see more and more from, from different players. Also, um, just when you mentioned, mentioned the word hygiene, I was like, yep, COVID, we haven't talked about it yet. But um, the idea of how that 
changes so many of the dynamics. If we are thinking about all the consumers who have now had to spend a lot more time online and also embracing technology that they haven't had to before, whether it's using QR codes or uh, going contactless or all these factors that play a role into the, you know, your digital data and your digital footprint um, that they've been forced to embrace for safety reasons or because the um, government's sort of pushing them. And I think that sort of helps. It, it speeds up their transition to being very uh, digitally orientated and also pushes these conversations further forward as COVID overall pushes these conversations about what can the government check about our health records? You know, with now, our, you know, you know uh, COVID passports, vaccine passports, raise a whole other host of issues of um, what we're willing to give up to get freedoms back, I guess. Um, I think um, it's pretty similar to what um, Rebecca and Alexis mentioned. I think um, simplifying the message, how to make it, you know, like for consumers to understand what this is, talking about, you know, for them to like, okay, this is yes or no for them. And that's dumb. That's one of the most important thing. And another thing is that um, perhaps brands or yeah, brands can reinforce, like show them how, how the data has been protected. Maybe we can talk about like um, the system, the software or anything that has been, you know, that could help endorse um, the, the level of um, the quality you know, to give more confidence, this kind of thing. Especially I think, um, like Rebecca said, we are now in in the in the time of pandemic when people are giving more importance to health and having this social distancing thing. So we are using more digital platforms. And in Thailand, we are we have entered in this um aging society world, which means that we are using more digital tools more than ever. So that means um we are going to adopt more digital um, devices in the future. And that's, um, that, that, that's going to increase um, the issue around data privacy for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's really interesting. And it leads me nicely into my last question, uh, which is focusing very much on the future. So we've seen uh, sort of various aspects through through our discussion uh, about data privacy, and we started off talking about ransomware. But we know that certain um, parts of uh, data control are not always under control by brands, um, uh, or what happens to data. Um, so, what do you think in, in looking into the future that uh, will be the key drivers of consumer expectation around data privacy, uh, and what will they be demanding brands uh, are doing in the future? I think it um, firstly just got to feel protected. So, initially, people there is an understanding, or assuming there has been, that some of these brands have been hacked, and that isn't necessarily one hundred percent in your control. I think acceptance of that will go down as uh, they expect that these major, major corporations in particular should be able to protect them. Uh, they know how powerful they are. So firstly, the consumers are just going to expect that these controversies decline and that if a brand keeps getting caught by them, then that is going to be a problem. Um, but as I always caveat everything, saying it depends on what the brand is and how useful what they offer is, and it's their alternative. Um, so it'll be a problem. They might get angry at them if it's Google. Oof, it's very hard to anyone to not use Google. Uh, so as an example, um, 
So the, the taking on hacks is quite a tricky one because obviously every company is going to be doing what they can to protect themselves uh, and protect their consumer data from, from that because they understand the consequences. Um, before that, outside of that, I think it goes back to what we talked about. It's consent and control and uh, giving people insight and just being trans- transparent. People the feeling people hate is being manipulated, and they hate feeling being taken advantage of, and feeling that um, a company's using them rather than just accept everyone is in this sort of social contract. We understand that to get some digital features and content, we have to for free in particular. You maybe have to give some things up for advertising purposes. For other, people understand that that's and that's a contract they are willing to to enter into. They just don't want to do it in a way where they feel that there's a complete asymptomatic um, uh, division of knowledge. So they just want to uh, feel like they can take a little bit of that control back that maybe they haven't felt they've had before. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a lot of great points, Rebecca, about how consumers are feeling. And for me, in line with what you were saying, a lot of how this affects, you know, brands and companies is that in any instance of a data attack, so to speak, whether it's a data breach um, of a lot of consumers or just a single consumer um, or just some sort of expose about data collection practices, whether it was actually a breach or not, um, those will almost always be the fault of companies, organizations, brands, and consumers' eyes. Um, You know, consumers are going to be highly unlikely to say like, oh, well, that's what I get for not changing my password um, or something of that sort. It will always be the fault of the brand or the company. And so in that regard, the brand or the company has to be the most, you know, robust and proactive um, in protecting consumer data because as we've talked about, consumers are largely reactive Active when it comes to data privacy. And so they will, if they are given an opt-in, opt-out option, they will react to that and do that, but they're less likely to be proactive and then seek out other solutions about how to safeguard themselves. And so the expectations for consumers, um, especially speaking for the U.S., is definitely going to be on the part of regulators, companies, and brands to set the standard for what it means to operate, you know, ethical data collection practices, what that means for consumers, um, and hopefully for consumers in that regard, that means that most of their habits and conveniences aren't disrupted to a great extent. Sometimes we just want to be convenient. We just want to feel convenient. Sometimes we don't really take care of password or anything like Every access, we it's just the same, or we haven't really, you know, spent like attention on it. Maybe brands or you know, like some people need to reinforce that this is important, and this is the first thing that consumers like us can do in order to protect our data, our privacy. So yeah, maybe this is the point that we have to be more um, focusing on as well in order to yeah to to reach this point. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that. So it's uh, so we we are slightly possible slight disagreement there. Some are saying you know it's all on the brands and everybody's going to expand the brands, but when you've got it, the, uh, we need to take some responsibility for ourselves, which is probably an even way of looking at it. Um, but sadly, that is all we have time for at the moment. So thank you very much for your contributions today. 
Thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, uh, rate and review this podcast on iTunes or on any other platform you get your podcast from. Please spread the word and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. 